Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a founder that is going to teach us a lot about security networking. I think that he has a very uh, interesting background, very diverse, many, many things that he has done throughout his uh, professional and, and entrepreneurial career. So I guess without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Sanjay Berry. Welcome to the show today. Thank you very much, and great to be with you, Alejandro. So originally Sanjay from Toronto. So how was life uh, growing up there? Oh, life was great. You know, Toronto, um, amazing place, very multicultural, diverse, uh, great people, you know, home of the NBA champions <laughs> this year. So we're all very happy. <laughs> um, and uh, no, just, yeah. just a great place. And um, actually a you know, driving tech community nowadays. So um, yeah, a great place, great place to go to school. Um, I went to Waterloo. Uh, and yeah, just a great start for me. <laughs> Got it. Really cool. So, so let's talk about Waterloo. So you were doing computer engineering. So how did you develop this love for computers? Yeah, you know, well, so when you think about it and I, I, you know, growing up, I mentioned this, you know, my first job before I went to university, after I was delivering papers for 15 years <laughs> was, um, you know, actually working at Microsoft in the IT shop and, you know, to, to kind of gain some money to go to college. And uh, throughout that time, right, remember the 90s, um, everybody was talking about the innovations people were making, whether it was you know, on mobile devices, laptops, computers, software. And so for a lot of us, a very exciting world. You could see it was the harbinger of sort of where you wanted to be. But frankly, a lot of us didn't know a heck of a lot about it. <laughs> and so um, I think going to computer engineering, it was one of the first years they actually had such a degree. And, and for us, um, it, it was extremely exciting to sort of be at that forefront of what would become, you know, a huge industry. So that's why. So then you graduated from here and, and then you went to California. Why did you make the move? Yeah. Um, yes, I definitely did graduate <laughs> from Waterloo. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, the great thing about Waterloo is you, you kind of can leave every four months and go work. And so, you know, I lived in the U.S. while I was in Waterloo. I uh, moved to Seattle for a year, year and a half, worked at Microsoft, developer. I backed to Ottawa, Montreal, uh, worked at some other companies. And so by the time I left, I'd sort of explored different areas in the world. Um, and um, for myself, like the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, um, I kind of felt that's where it is. You know, for what I want to do, that's where I want to be. And um, 
as part of that, I also knew that um, I wanted to take my hand at doing a master's. Um, you know, when I went to Stanford and I saw the one mile of palm trees, if you compare it to my old university at Waterloo, which the engineering was a bomb shelter, <laughs> you know, you, you kind of went, wow, yeah. okay. Um, and so um, <laughs> yeah, I decided to move to California in the Valley and, um, and try to learn more at uh, Stanford. That was sort of the goal. Were you, were you like shocked with the environment and with the mentality of hyper growth and innovation that you encounter there? Yes. I mean, other than being shocked with the, you know, the number of just the massive land, how beautiful everything was, you know? Um, yeah, definitely. But, you know, it was amazing was just the amount of connectivity you could make to other entrepreneurs, other much more seasoned people, um, leaders and companies. It was just very open environment. Um, and I found more so than even what I learned at Stanford, um, which I, I mentioned what I learned at Stanford was one of the things I learned was I wasn't a very good engineer. <laughs> so um, I, you just meet amazing people and, um, and you have the ability to learn um, a lot about not only tech, but about business, about how it runs. Um, you can uh, break game game mentors. So yeah, great experience. And I believe that the um, that this experience actually opened your eyes about the world of entrepreneurship, and you decided to start your first business. So how did this happen? Yeah. So uh, while at Stanford, um, with a professor um, at Stanford, um, we started our first company, um, and it was a security company. Um, and that's sort of before that, and then uh, that's sort of my career in security was born. Um, and um, I did it out of two reasons. One. That was always what I like to do. I like to build, innovate, um, and uh, the chance to do it um, in that environment with some great people. Um, that was hey, I wanted to go do it, um, and uh, I did that while going to school. Um, you know, one of the things since I ended high school, I've been working full time while I'm going to school, help myself, you know, pay my way through school. But also, I just felt like the best learning was in the industry, um, and yeah, just a great experience. I learned a lot in that experience, um, good and bad you know, what not to do and what to do. <laughs> so um, I call it more value, yeah. value than any degree I ever got. Absolutely. And and how, like, like what was exactly the uh, business model here of this business? Yeah. So basically it was a uh, encryption company selling to enterprises. So we powered a lot of the online retailers um, and we were performing encryption of their sensitive data in their data centers. And the model at that time was um, basically we sell them a box that performs this encryption with our software on it, um, and uh, they scale by the capacity and number of boxes. And so the world is very different now. Like our model is all subscription, no hardware. But back then, that's what it was. And so, um, and it was you know sales teams on the ground selling to very large enterprises. Um, and so you learned you know on the street how do you really get business done in an enterprise? Uh, and it's not just about the product but a lot more. Um, and so it was a great experience. Got it. And the name of the business, Ingrid and Network. So how, how did you guys capitalize the business? Did you guys raise any money? Yeah, it was venture funded. Got it. Um, just like, yeah, that's the way it was. So what kind of uh, VCs invested in the business? Yeah, so tradi you know, traditional VCs, like early stage to mid-stage VCs, um, you know, like for example, in our business today, we have folks like Lightspeed, Excel, um, and others. And so, you know, those type of VCs, early Series A, B, C type VCs. Um, obviously, most of them have moved much later nowadays, 
where they're investing all the way to public almost. <laughs> but back then, um, those yeah. were the type of VCs that invested. Got it. So then, so then why did you guys decide to sell the business? Yeah. So I think like one of the things I learned um, through that experience was, you know, building a great product um, is absolutely key. But so how you structure um, and how you scale your company from a go-to-market point of view is uh, super important. How you build that large channel and system integrator channel. And so I would say like one of the reasons that um, the company was sold was had a great product, but had a lot of work to do on how you build that go-to-market structure. And so as with many companies who maybe aren't going to go all the way, um, in this case, uh, it was sold so they could get a larger go-to-market structure, sales team, and frankly, they could integrate with a larger portfolio of product rather than trying to sell a point product um, because many large enterprises, obviously, they want a platform. Um, and so those are some of the reasons. Got it. So then you decide to move on and uh, McAfee was uh, next. I mean, you did a... Um... A couple of stints here. Uh, so you yep. were doing marketing, sales, product in in several companies. So what what were you? What did you learn, for example, at McAfee or let's say at another company like Uniper mm -hmm. Networks, which yep. were the two most immediate um, steps before you founded your your big big business? Yeah, absolutely. Like, so you know, at Juniper, I started, um, which is where I was, you know, for seven around seven plus years. Um, I started more in the product management area, so running the products, uh, direction, working with customers, then ran marketing. And then for five years, I ran a business unit. And a business unit was literally, you showed up every quarter and you had, um, you report out your numbers. You're, you have a P&L, um, you're, you're responsible for making sure you're driving product marketing, you're driving the sales and the people. Uh, and so you're running this business. And so for me, um, that let me do it at scale. Right. So understanding how to do things at scale um, is very important. Right. How you build a channel, how you incent and comp people, how you think about how important culture is. Right. Having seen so many companies, you know, that drove my uh, realization of how important culture was. And so I think at Juniper, what I learned was really how to run a business um, from all facets. And it was great. It gave me the experience to play all those roles. Um, and then uh, for the last five years, you know, sort of run that, drive that business um, at scale and pair that with sort of doing it from the beginning. I feel like those experiences, they really prepped me for um, building what I feel will be, you know, part of the security industries and my legacy, which is Netscope. Um, so when you're building a business at scale, what are the key ingredients that need to be in place in order to have the operation yeah. moving effectively? Yeah. And so, you know, one thing I'll tell you is um, you learn some of your best learnings are through uh, realizations or seeing um, when you don't do it right. <laughs> and, right. you know, and everything that sort of built me up to starting Netscope, I viewed, you know, the good and the bad as my biggest learnings. And so one of the biggest things to answer your question directly is culture. You know, the thing I start with when I think about a company, I think about four things. I think about team, which is team and culture. I think about vision and product. I think about go-to-market, and I think about the corporate foundation, the company foundation. And so the first, team and culture. I've been very focused and dogmatic that, you know, the culture that I believe will thrive in our specific case and in our industry is very open, very collaborative, no politics, no BS, no bureaucracy. I feel it's the enemy of innovation. And so one of our focuses was build that company with that culture. Easier said than done, right? When you scale, um, sometimes you deviate and you got to stomp it out. 
You got to make it front of mind that culture is important. Um, and I feel it's one of the biggest competitive advantages, for example, in the security industry, where you just don't have that across most companies that, you know, that good culture. And so that's my number one thing, culture. Um, and you bring people on that fit that culture. And I give this analogy to everybody we hire. Do not hire a 10, a person who's a 10 out of 10 in domain and expertise, but a seven out of 10 in culture. Hire the opposite. Hire the person who's a 10 on culture and maybe a seven or eight on domain because culture will get you through everything. Uh, and so that's my number one thing in building a company. And then just to carry this forward, hopefully it's not too long an answer. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, uh, the second is a product and a vision. Like when we, when I started Netscope, my goal was a long-term vision. I did not want to build a company that like my previous company got sold. I didn't want to build a company that was a niche product. I wanted to build a large, iconic, independent company that would stand the test of time. And so you have to be very clear about what you want to do. It is perfectly okay not to do that, right? To build a company that you want to sell and flip. That's not what I wanted to do. And so making sure that the vision of your company both from a, what are you going to do? And you're going to stand the test of time and then shoot in our case, big, right? Go after disrupting a large industry. You have to have that vision and product very clear to the next level of detail on how you're going to do it. And you have to be careful. Don't listen to people too much, right? You have your views and they're being espoused with your history. You get a lot of great advice, but you'll have a lot of people telling you to turn left or right. And you really got to hold to your guns and do what you believe in. Um, and, um, you know, that comes with it, right? Detractors comes with it, um, you know, roadblocks, but you just gotta, you gotta really keep that culture, keep that vision, power through it, build a great product. Um, and then half of the battle or more is go to market, right? You could have a product, but if you don't have a great sales team, you don't understand how to sell, don't have a great channel, um, and so on, and you haven't enabled them, then it won't work. And so, you know, culture, product, vision, go to market. And then the last one, and I'll stop, is I'm very passionate oh, about right. the subject, <laughs> is, um, you know, you have to pick your investors and your board very carefully. Pick them like you pick your, you know, your employee or your team member or, you know, if they don't match and believe in the same culture you believe in or the, your long-term vision, don't do it, right? In the Valley, sometimes there's too many people who are picking it based on valuations and don't do that. Do it based, number one, on people that you'd go to war with that literally fit your culture, believe in your company. Um, and not everybody will, and that's fine. Um, but, but pick those people, get to know them for a long time, and then bring them in. And that builds a great corporate foundation. So anyways, those are the four things. Got it. And and basically, so, so now going back to your experience, right? So here you are at Uniper yep. Networks. At what point do you start to think, hey, maybe I want to go out and, and start this thing, this idea that I have in mind? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, so um, towards sort of the last year, sort of at Juniper, I always had the itch to do this. Um, in fact, even at Juniper, my business unit was very entrepreneurial. Um, we were building new product. We were trying to educate people on how to sell it. Um, and so for me, I kind of had that itch always um, in the last few years there. And it was really in the last six months year where I, you know, coalesced on, you know, what I got to go do this. Um, you know, um, I sort of believe that all my learnings, successes, failures to date had, um, you know, uh, prepped me for it. And so when I did that, there was only one person I had to convince that was my wife. <laughs> and, so, uh, <laughs> and she was a fully 
on board. She got it. She understood why always I wanted to do this. And so, um, so then I left. Um, and when I left, I didn't have any, you know, funding. I didn't have my co-founder, you know, team members yet. Um, I just, I knew I knew what I wanted to do. I knew that the industry was changing as they transformed digitally. Um, and so I just saw that opportunity and I left and then, um, from there started building. And did you have any children at that point? I did not. Um, I had my uh, daughter two years. Yeah, it would be like two years into starting Netscope. <laughs> so, otherwise, probably the conversation with your wife would have been a little bit more tense. Yeah, yes. I'd probably have to convince my daughter at that point. Luckily, That's I good. didn't have That's to good. do that. <laughs> so. So, then, so then let's talk about Netscope. Then how, how did you meet your, your the founding team, the other members in the founding team? So, yeah. So, um, first of all, I when I left and I spent a month or so just, you know, refining and, and putting in place uh, what I wanted to do, I sort of then knew who I wanted as um, co-founders. And to be specific, the people that I picked were technical uh, people. They were architects you know, the people who actually do the work <laughs> in the beginning, who build the product. And right. so um, these were people like Krishna, for example, I had known him for 10 plus years. He was the most humble uh, person you'll ever meet. Um, yet he was one of the most accomplished, you know, engineering architects, right? Um, he was super well-respected, tons of patents um, and total cultural fit. Ravi, Ithal, same thing. Um, you know, was one of the early people at, uh, built a company called Palo Alto Networks uh, and so on. And so they were security people. They fit our culture. Um, and I've known them um, through either directly or through others. Um, and so, you know, those were the type of people that I knew um, would be with me for a long time. And they would go through the ups and downs because building a company is not easy. Um, and most importantly, than having the skill set, they had the culture, determination, um, and uh, willingness and want and hunger to do it. So that's how I went about talking to them and uh, they uh, then they didn't joined. Got it. Got it. So then how were the early days like? Well, you know, the early days were a Starbucks office <laughs> with an umbrella <laughs> outside in the valley um, where we literally would meet. We'd have our own personal computers and we would talk through things. Uh, what we were building, because in the in the beginning, you're building like your product, right? Um, you are, you know, you are talking to and, and focusing and honing in on um, that product. We always had our grand vision. We knew what we wanted to do, but you got to build a product first. Um, and so, you know, discussions in Starbucks uh, and beyond. And then myself, um, I had also got to know many investors over the years um, and the people that I could trust, the people that I liked, um, and uh, and also working with them. Uh, to um, eventually get our first round um, of uh, first and second round of financing. And so those were the early days, scrapping, building, um, and just uh, driving. And then, so then what ended up being the uh, business model for the listeners to, to understand? Yeah, so our business model was that we would sell to mid to large enterprises, so over a thousand people, we would sell them a solution that would secure their software as a service, basically cloud, we went after the area called cloud security and our model was we were a subscription. So no hardware all in, you know, we would secure the cloud from the cloud. Um, and, uh, it would be a per user, uh, by year subscription model. Uh, and so nowadays everything's like that in the SaaS world. <laughs> and, uh, but in the security world, that was not normal, right? Most people were 
selling boxes, putting it on premise. And so when we were doing this, this was sort of different, right? Um, and a little revolutionary. So then what were some of the challenges that you guys were encountering? Well, so one is, um, you know, when you start something from scratch and you have um, in the security industry, these public companies, you know, and after the first, you know, we, we had our first set of people. The first thing is, you know, what people are buying into is your vision and your people, right? You don't have a product. And so when you recruit people, you know, they, um, they have to believe in that. They have to believe in you and the vision. And so it was just educating them on that, get the next level of people, talking to in the Valley, the investors who I knew like this for me, I know that an investor and a board member can ruin your company. And I always believed that you got to find the people who have the right cultural fit. And so talking to them, explaining to them what we're building, the market, how we're going to go build a great go-to-market eventually. Um, those were the challenges, a lot of education, um, a lot of, frankly, talking to people, um, finding uh, the right time for them to join, uh, finding the right time to uh, get investment and so on. So, yeah, everything <laughs> was a challenge. <laughs> so. So when you when you're thinking about sharing your vision and and onboarding folks and perhaps even investors, how do you think about storytelling? How important is storytelling? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the those four things that I said: team, product and vision, go to market, and your company foundation. I told my story that way um, because you know, one, what is an investor who is looking at a bunch of powerpoints and doesn't have a product or customers looking at right? They are looking at you and they're looking at your team members and they're saying, who are these people? Um, obviously, we knew and got to know well hand. And OK, do they have what it takes to do what they're going to say, what they're saying? Do they have the uh, intestinal fortitude? Do they have the smarts? Do they have the right mix of people? Um, do they? So one, they got to believe in your team Two, They have to believe in your vision. Our vision was to change and transform the cloud data network security industry. And they have to understand that and believe in that vision. So many investors have their own thesis on what happens in these markets. And their thesis sort of needs to, at some level, align with yours. Um, and so those are the two most important things. Um, and then obviously later on that you can actually build a large team to go <laughs> sell it. Um, yeah. But that's what they were looking So I told that story um, of the industry we're changing, why do you put these people together and they're the ones who can do it? And I was very clear with them that don't, and, you know, don't come to Netscope if you're looking for a company that sells itself. You got to this. You got to come somewhere and be part of us if you believe in the long-term vision and the building a true large public company. So, so that filtered a lot of people, yeah. by the way. <laughs> so, I know. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. And one thing that I thought it was really interesting is. You guys founded the business in around October 2012, but already in January of 2013, you literally raised the Series A with social capital. How how the hell did this, did this happen, Sanjay? That's not normal. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm a believer that in that day, they're betting on you and they're betting on your team. And so, you know, even when you think about our A, when you think about our B with Lightspeed, I got to know them many years ahead, like through business, through building my network in the Valley. Um, so that like, when you look across somebody, an investor across a table, I mean, you are trusting them with your future, you know, and being on your board and they're trusting you. 
And so the reason I was able to do it quick is I, I got to know these people ahead of time, um, got to know who they were, and they got to know me, um, both my skill set, my enterprise, my drive. And so it wasn't like, you know, the last time you want to go and try to raise capital uh, is when you need it in the sense of that's when you're starting the conversation. That doesn't work well um, for you and your ability to evaluate these investors. And are they the right people for your business and your culture that you want to build? Um, but it's the same thing for them. And so that's why I got to know them. And then it wasn't about vetting, um, are, you know, are we the right people? It was more about the idea at that point. And in our case, um, these organizations, they believe that that was the future, right? Um, you know, the removal of your perimeter of your enterprise and making it a cloud edge, they believed in that. And so that's, those are some of the reasons it was able to be happen. Because uh, all in all, how much capital have you guys raised, Sanjay, that is uh, reported? So, yeah, we've raised uh, just over $400 million wow. <laughs> in capital. Wow. Yeah, that's, absolutely. Uh, that's yeah. quite uh, an amount. So so can you walk us through all the different rounds that you guys have done and, and what did you learn from each one of the financing milestones? Yeah, sure. So I'll group them just for your own. Like in your first round, they're truly betting, like I said, on you. And then they're directionally aligned with the vision. In my series B and C, um, I brought in Lightspeed um, and then Excel, uh, you know, two of the best, in my view, investors in the Valley. Um, and the reality is same thing. Like culturally, um, they're investing in you again, the team. At that point, you know, you have a larger team. You have, you're closer to product when you're in your B and C round, or maybe you have product. So in that round, they're investing in the team, number one, but they're also investing in proof points, meaning, hey, they can talk to customers who will validate that what you're building is what they need. Um, and so you're putting in front of them, actually, some of your early you know, people who you were working with when you were refining your product, or they're going to be your early test beta testers. And so you're putting in, for our case, CIOs or C chief security officers um, who could attest to that. And so that's what they were looking for, right? Product, um, vision, uh, being aligned, um, and having industry validation of that. And then, of course, always the team is sort of number one. And so that's kind of how I thought about those early rounds. And then, you know, we just closed um, uh, what I'd call, a, a, you know, a late stage round. Um, we didn't necessarily need the capital. But one of the interesting things is every round, for me, the same investors. Um Did we let in, like, for example, in uh, our later round, a new one, Iconic? Yes. But the same ones that have been with me since the beginning, they have always either led or participated in the round. And so as you get to your later rounds, your ideal is that your existing investors, they've they always believed in your vision and your people. And now they know everything about your company. And they have seen, wow, this is coming true. There's success. And they keep wanting, you know, investing more. What I decided to do was keep my board very small um, in the sense of uh, investors. Um, and that let me be very agile. Um, I brought on an independent um, since he was actually my first board member, um, you know, to round out the board. And then what I did later on in the later stages, like DE, I brought on investors who, sir, who could help us in a very specific way. So, um, for example, we brought on an investor that helped in Japan. We were entering Japan in our later stages, and uh, we wanted help in the go-to-market side. We brought on an investor that would help in Latin America um, and Baze. And so in the later stages, 
It's more about your go-to-market and your success and your numbers and, you know, how you're building that sales, you know, funnel and channel and um, flywheel. So that's kind of how I break it up. Team, vision in the beginning, you know, team, you know, and product and proof points. Then your go-to-market capability, your sales and your numbers, how you're building that channel, and then how you're expanding your portfolio to have more product. That's kind of how I break up the, you know, A, B to C, you know, D, E kind of rounds and, and what they look for. And and something interesting here, Sanjay, is, um, is as well, you know, the case that you're you're Canadian, you know, you're a Canadian, yep. uh, you know, a person that goes, you know, to, to the Bay Area and then all of a sudden you're like building your network from nothing. I mean, I've I've experienced that as well as a Spaniard, you know, coming here to, to New York City, you know, and, and it's not easy. So I know that there's a lot of people here that are listening and wondering how the hell did Sanjay, you know, how was he able to land people like Axel, Lightspeed, Social Capital, and and so forth? And how did he build his network? What kind of tips, Sanjay, would you give people listening? Yeah. Yeah, it is a great question. Um, first of all, I think if you're sometimes like in the valley or even in the scene in certain cities, um, it's a little easier because you're in the midst, right? Like, for example, if you're trying to raise capital from valley and you live in Denver, it's harder, right? Um and so one, I had the advantage of physically being here and, um, you know, working here for a while and building my connectivity. And so how did I do that? One, I made sure I was networking, um, you know, from a customer point of view, building my network. I did that because, you know, that's what I was running a business since so I met him. But from a VC side, I made sure that I um, attended some of those events. Um, I happened to like some of the people who became in VCs. Well, their background is they worked at these companies too, right? Like they work in the industry. And so in some cases, I knew these people from the industry and I got to know them. And then they went into the venture capital world because, you know, it's usually rarer now that somebody like is a VC and that's their lifelong VC. A lot of them have some kind of operating experience. Um, They come from the industry. And so one of the best ways to get to know the next generation of VCs is, Hey, make sure that your industry connectivity is strong, right? To um, executives, to others, and so I got to make sure I did that. Um, I made sure that I got to know some of the investors through networking. Uh, maybe a friend knows that investor. Let me just talk to them about what they're seeing in the industry. Why would they want to meet me? Well, um, what's in it for them is that they get access to a view of the world and the industry. I could tell them what's going on in the networking security world, and they always they want. They want information, right? Information is the lifeblood for them of their investment thesis. And so, um, I, yeah, just focus on that network, um, building it, industry, um, and in the, um, in the venture world. Um, and you really got to put effort. It doesn't happen by accident. Um, and don't do it when you need it. <laughs> it's my number one thing. You know, if you think you're going to do something in 10 years, um, start building that network now. Yeah. No, that's a... Very powerful there, Sanjay. So, so I guess the um, the we both know that the that the journey is is not easy. It's not as easy as they put it on TechCrunch or on all these <laughs> uh, you know tech blogs where you see oh you know this 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 guy is killing it yeah. or this company is killing. It. I mean, there's a lot of sweat and tears that that happen. No? So I guess for you, Sanjay, I guess looking back, what was perhaps a moment that it was challenging? It was a breakdown that really led to a really interesting breakthrough. Yeah. I mean, first of all, there's been many. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I kind of tell anybody that if, 
you know, building a, a company is not easy. You, you go home and, and, uh, if you go, <laughs> you, uh, you go home and yeah, there's so many times where, and I'll just give you examples of things, right? You know, you're building your product and, um, you architect it a certain way in the beginning. And then, you know, midway you realize, oh my God, you know, um, we did something wrong and it isn't going to work. And we got to rip that out and do it over. I mean, maybe a big company. Okay. You could do that. But in a small company, I mean, that's a big thing, right? Cause you have a handful of people and, and, uh, and so there's those moments when you realize by gaining more knowledge that, wow, you know what, that's going to slip or I got to do that differently. Oh, or, oh no. You know, um, on the go to market side, same thing, right? You set a goal. You want to, you know, build and have this many customers, this, you want to build a channel this way. It's always slower, right? Um, from a go-to-market perspective in terms of making uh, and building um, that engine. And when you have, um, you know, your own personal, hey, I'm going to do it by this time. And then you hit roadblocks. Maybe like a big company comes in and says, hey, don't bother with that company. You know what? Um, we'll give you X, Y, Z. Uh, you spend $100 million with us. Why are you looking at that company? Um, you will, you, when you are building a company, disrupting others, you are like, you know, you're just a little ant and all of the bigger ones want to step on you. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, that's what you'll see. And so you have to have the intestinal fortitude to know that you're going to fight politics in companies where these entrenched vendors have, you know, decades of relationships. And even if you have a better product, it doesn't matter. You, you got to fight that and just persist. And you know what? Some cases you're not going to beat the politics. And those are the most sometimes disconcerting when you go, man, we had the right product. We had what they fit, but we just didn't have the relationship. Um, and you got to look yourself in the mirror and go, you know what? That's the way the world is. <laughs> and so, you know, all of those experiences, product to go to market, to fighting politics, you know, they can really wear you down. But I think the number one thing for an entrepreneur to know is to know that that is normal. And two, you got to just stay true to your vision and fight through it and look at it and go, you know what? Geez, you know, why didn't we think of designing it that way the first time? Maybe we, we weren't thinking the right way, or maybe we didn't have the right person in this domain on the go-to-market side. Why did we not fight through those politics? Hey, maybe we need to form our connectivity to these folks in a better way and change how we think about, um, gaining that advantage. Um, the channel, how do we use that to our advantage that, you know, they already have a lot of business with these other vendors. How do we turn that against, you know, our competitors? And so I think it's just take every, you know, roadblock and take what you can the learnings and then try to figure out how do I use that in the future to my advantage. And, um, it's not for, you know, I tell people it's not for the faint of heart. Like everybody I brought in the beginning, I said, look, don't come here if you're faint of heart. <laughs> because you know you're going to hit these things every day. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. So, so Netscope. Going back to Netscope. How big is Netscope today, Sanjay? Yeah. So Netscope. We're just over um, 800 people. Um, we are um, over a quarter of the Fortune 100. Our customers. Uh, we have offices now in every continent. <laughs> you know. Wow. So we've grown. Uh, we're you know we're on the Forbes 100 top 100 cloud companies. I mean, these are all great proof points for our company and uh, success. But, you know, the one thing I feel super proud of is just that we've been able to maintain our culture through that growth. Uh, we haven't sacrificed our core principles. 
And that means a lot to me. And so, um, so that's kind of the scale we are. Now, to be blunt, we're small, right? I mean, in the grand scale of things, it, we're fighting sometimes companies that are 20,000 people, right? And so yeah. we're also very self-aware that, hey, we're just, we're just beginning. Um, and we have a lot to prove and a long road to go. So talking about company growth, Sanjay, um, and obviously incredible growth of the business, how have you been able to grow yourself as well as a leader? Yeah, so you know, one of the first things that I um, realized very early in my career through you know, previous people that I worked with looking um, across was that um, I wanted to hire people who fit that open collaborative culture. As you grow, you have politics, you have people you know, with fiefdoms. I didn't want any of that. So one reason I, um, I'm able to grow is you hire people who are better than you. <laughs> so, um, and in every domain, like hire people who are on the sales side better than you, on the channel side, on hire people from a support, customer. And so one of the things that um, why I was able to scale was, was able to find the right people from a cultural point of view who are great at what they do and really make sure that I empowered them. I'm not a micromanager. Let them do what they know they can do. Let them be entrepreneurs. Let them own their domains and obviously make sure that we're stitched together, we're aligned. But I always tell them, I'm, I'm here to help you. I am not here to tell you, hey, do this, this, and this. Okay, we, are, we do have corporate goals, and so everybody is sort of aligned on certain things. But I think hire great people that fit the cultural fit that are better than you in what they do. Um, and then give them the freedom and empowerment to unlock, you know, their entrepreneurial. That's why they're here, because they're entrepreneurs. Um, and then your role is to support them. And then your role that you never sacrifice is if anyone deviates in the culture, then, you know, that can't happen. And so that's kind of how I think we are able to scale um, and um, and grow the company. Got it. Got it. So so I guess the, um, you know, the. As you're, as you're thinking about Netscope and, and also the space, uh, also kind of like for us to kind of like bring us a little bit as insiders into what you're seeing, where do you see the security networking space heading? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, the whole security industry right now is sort of being transformed and it's being transformed because of some macro trends. Like if you talk in a, if you're sitting in a company and you're at a board meeting or you're working with IT, you hear the words digital transformation. And, you know, kind of like some of the most overused words in IT. And what, it, but what does it mean? It means that companies have realized that, wait a minute, um, I want to get access to great applications. Um, I don't want to build massive IT infrastructure and data centers. I want to let my people work from home, use their own devices. I want to be mobile to enable productivity. All these things, right, around transforming how people work. Um, all of those things built these massive industries, $100 billion plus software as a service, $100 billion plus, um, you know, AWS, Azure, GCP. And that is ripping through the security industry. And so if you look at the security industry, it used to be all boxes sitting in your, um, you know, in your office that basically spoke the language of, you know, uh, yesteryear, <laughs> the language. And so nowadays what people are realizing is, wait, how do I enable remote working? How do I enable data living in the cloud? How do I say yes to SaaS applications? And the way you do that, that was, um, that's been transforming security. It's transforming the network data security market, build you know, um, cloud security and what we call a security cloud, 
where your perimeter is virtual and you have these security services, no matter where you're working, who you are, what apps you're using, and you can protect your data. It's ripping through markets like the endpoint market, um, not a market we're in, but uh, it's ripping through that market. Uh, and so I think security is in a big transformation. And that's why you see, um, I think, the traditional vendors, they're declining year on year. They're being sold to private equity um, and uh, and so on. And so it's, it's in massive transformation, just like the application market is, right, with um, software as a service and so on. Yeah, absolutely. So, so one question, Sanjay, that um, that I typically ask the guests that I have on the show is, knowing what you know now, I mean, incredible wealth of knowledge. I mean, you've been at it since 2012, so obviously many, many ups and downs, many successes, mm-hmm. many lessons learned as well. Uh, but if you had the opportunity to have a chat with your younger self, that <laughs> Sanjay that was coming out of Stanford, that was about to launch the first business, if you had that opportunity to have that discussion and give yourself one piece of business advice to your younger self, what would that be and why? Yeah, it's a great question. I'd probably give myself lots of different advice. I could probably speak to myself for 30 minutes or an hour at least, or maybe two days. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> the, uh, but I think like one of the things I would tell my uh, earlier self is um, don't ever sacrifice your, your vision, your mid to long term for anybody or anything. And what I mean by that is when you go through building a company, um, there are times where you kind of turn left and you get influenced. Um, and in your gut, you know, ah, oh, I don't think I should do that. And then you go do it and you realize that, why did I do that? I should have, I should have just listened to myself and, you know, listen and stuck to my guns. And so I would tell my early self that, look, do that. Um, I always believe that. But you all, you know, there's always occasions where you just get swayed. And so that's kind of the number one advice um, is just you know, do what you believe in and your vision. Take in all your uh, take in as much advice as you can and realize there's good and bad advice um, and um, and just chart that course, even if it's unpopular. Um, and uh, I think that's what I would tell myself um, and reinforce for myself. <laughs> so. Really cool. And I guess for for the folks that are listening and, you know, they're starting to think about their own vision, their own business. So based on what you've learned, Sanjay, what does a powerful vision look like? Yeah, I think a power. First of all, I think a mistake a lot of people make is that the vision is around what you're building and a product. That's not the vision when you're building a company. And so your vision needs to be about your team and your culture first. What is my vision for my team? What is the culture I want? What's the paradigms I have around even how I'm going to build it geographically um, and how I'm going to um, incent them and so on. So build that vision. Two, you need to have a product (laughs) and vision for your product that is disruptive, that um, is maybe ahead of its time in some cases. Um, And you need to have the details around that, not just the first step, but what are you going to do in step two, three? What does it look like in three, five, seven years? Challenge yourself to make sure you know what that is. And then third, you know, last thing, a vision on how you're going to sell, you know, don't get a great product and then realize how do I sell it? You got to know that from the beginning. So anyways, that's how I think about a vision. And to put this into perspective and really hit it with the pragmatic approach in a world where the vision of Netscope is fully realized, what does that look like? Yeah. 
So first of all, my belief is that it'll never be realized because my vision in security specifically is that you innovate or you die. <laughs> and so, right. you know, what that means is you need to constantly be adding to your vision. And so, but, you know, we have milestones. And so when you think about Netscope um, and where we are today and where we want to be, we want to be the brand that when a CIO or CISO says, look, one of my, when I think about transforming digitally, I need Netscope. When I think about working the way people want to work now, leveraging cloud, working remotely, that's what Netscope's for. You want to be on the tip of their tongue in every geography. Yes, you want to be, you know, this company that is valued at 20 billion plus and all the rest. Um, and those are all, you know, great financial uh, validations. But I think we really want to be that top security company that a CISO or CIO leans on and says, this is, they are core to my business and they're a great partner. Um, and hearing that from, you know, all the CIOs and CISOs across the world, that would mean, um, well, you know, a large percentage of them, <laughs> that would mean we'd achieved our goal. So. Very cool, Sanjay. So for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Well, look, the best way to reach out, folks have any uh, inquiries, um, just feel free to reach out to me directly. Um, I'm on, you know, I am on LinkedIn and I get a lot of, uh, you know, um, messages from people, um, a lot of requests. Hey, what do you think about this? Um, you know, you can message me there. Um, obviously through Netscope, um, you can message me there, esperitnetscope.com uh, and so on. And uh, more than happy to, you know, answer questions. If you're in the industry, I'll probably see you in many of the events as well. So Amazing. Well, Sanjay, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. Thank you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.